Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning and welcome to the long weekend edition of Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And a special good morning to those of you listening in the Riverland and Mallee. They've been waiting for a long time to get some significant rains, a break in the season, and uh, I do believe that uh, during the week that many of them have got uh, uh, 10 to 15 millimetres in the Riverland, and would you believe 15 to 20 in the Mallee, so I hope it came your way, and uh, we might just work in a little bit about the weather later in the program. We have had some wild winter weather this week and we had that unseasonably warm start so now it feels like we are actually where we should be. Well the nice thing is if you're going to get in the garden we're going to get some reasonable weather at least today and tomorrow and I think it probably uh, first part of Monday. The nice thing is that soil temperatures are about five degrees above average so if you missed out on putting on your winter vegetables, your broccoli and cabbage and things like that, I reckon Get out there and plant them this weekend. At least they've got a, a week or so uh, of a reasonable establishment before uh, the cold weather slows them down. Excellent advice. And if you've got some extra time this long weekend, perfect job to do. We're going to talk fruit. And we've had so many uh, uh, people interested in fruit varieties. Which is the top performing fruit or which are the top performing fruits? Sam Luke happens to be the nursery manager at Belhanna Fruit Nursery up in the Adelaide Hills. They supply probably the biggest percentage of fruit trees, particularly deciduous fruit trees, at garden centres. And they've gone out of their way to make sure that all the garden centres have got their fruit, uh, their deciduous fruit or bare-rooted fruit trees by this weekend. Congratulations to Sam, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to him very, very so- shortly about uh, the favourite varieties of fruit compared with the newer variety of fruits. And if you're thinking of putting in a fruit tree, particularly a dwarf fruit tree, what do you need to do to make sure you get success? Wonderful. And if you've got a question for Sam and John, you'll get two for one. Call in on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Do it now and jump in the queue if you'd like. If you've got a fruit tree question, one three hundred. Triple two eight nine one is the phone number. Of course, we value your comments on the text line. If you'd like to tell us about your rainfall, if you're in an area that hasn't had a lot and you've had some and you'd like to let us know, the text line is zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. And I have a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program as well. But call in with your gardening questions for Sam and John. Uh, we're looking at fruit at the moment. We'll return to general talk about gardening a little later. The number again, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. It looks like COVID is trying to make a bit of a comeback, but uh, COVID itself, if you take a look at it, uh, big downsides, but there were also one or two benefits. And one of the benefits, it's re-stimulated people's uh, uh, desire to get back out in the garden, grow their own fruit and vegetables, particularly fruit. Uh, There's big potential for growing fruit here in South Australia. And uh, it's, uh, I think... uh, an ideal way of just being able to enjoy the freshness of fruit. And very, very shortly, we're going to talk to Sam, or we're going to talk to him right now. We're going to talk to him right now. (laughs) Good morning to you, Sam Luke, and welcome back to Talk Back Gardening. Good morning, John and Deb. It's good to be there. Okay, so let's take a look at the fact that there was uh, COVID. It came along and stimulated people's ideas into uh, getting back into the garden and growing fruit. Um, 
Are there any messages that we've learned from COVID as, or getting back into the garden compared with uh, uh, what we do traditionally? Uh, John, I reckon with COVID, we, we just got a bit more time at home and just a bit more time is usually what's required to um, plan your garden properly and work out what trees you want to put where and what they require. So I think uh, really it's just a matter of getting your head around fruit trees, planning planning the right spot, all of that. And COVID gave us the opportunity to do that for a lot of people. Um, you know, if you leave home early in the morning when it's dark and you get back when it's dark, then uh, your garden it becomes less of a priority. But we've spent a lot of time at home over the last couple of years and it's given us time to enjoy our backyards and plan them a bit more and with that, to, to work out how to make fruit grow successfully. From what you're saying, can I draw the fact that uh, uh, there's nothing significantly new or radical about uh, growing fruit trees? It, it's, it's the basic fundamentals, and people are, are rediscovering the importance of the fundamentals. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, people have been growing, you know, people used to have lots of tr- fruit trees in their back gardens, John, and grow them with confidence and get really big volumes of delicious fruit and that's just as possible as it always was it's really just a matter of uh investing a bit of time to know what's involved what what trees go with what whether you need pollinators how to prepare your soil maybe a bit of pest and disease um know-how but once you've got those basic ingredients uh sky's the limit well, let's drill down on some of those issues. First of all, location. They say it's location, location, location. Yeah, well, for sure. I think most of most of our trees, our deciduous fruit trees, really want full sun. Sun's uh, sugars, sun is colour, sun is uh, dries out. Uh, your leaves and your, your branches um, after rain, so disease doesn't settle in too much. So... The more of a full sun, maybe protected from the wind a little bit. Not many trees like getting hammered by hammered by wind, but um, other than that, that nice warm, dry position uh, is ideal for All most right, fruit okay. trees. So sunshine, sunshine. Is there a, a minimum amount of sunshine you'd say, look, unless you're getting this number of hours of sunshine during the day, uh, perhaps your best not to go fruit trees and grow fruit trees. Uh, yeah, I couldn't give a scientific answer, John. I'd be saying about four would be a good minimum. Um, if you're getting certainly the four key hours of sunshine in the afternoon, that's you're you're a long way on your way to to having enough to grow your trees successfully. You write a fruit tree blog in the Good Gardening newsletter through winter and you've been stressing the importance of preparation before you plant. The reasons why? Oh, I guess, you know, a tree is in the ground for a long time. Um, if the soil, you know, like if the last tree, something like an apricot, take an example of an apricot, apricots can handle large amounts of phytophthora with their roots, um, but but not as a young tree. So an old tree has developed in the soil, um, fungi and bacteria build up with it, but particularly phytophthora can be a problem. And the old tree is old and strong and can handle it. If you were to pull out that apricot tree and grab a peach or a nectarine or another apricot, just a young sapling, and put it straight back in the same spot, 
it's going to really struggle with that disease pressure. So really soil prep is making sure the environment that the roots of your new tree are going into are ideal for growing the new tree. So, uh, you know, if you get your fungi and bacteria and all of those sort of things right, then they'll combat the problems that might have been left by how the soil was used in the past. Obviously, you need to loosen the soil, particularly if you've got hard-setting clay soil. But uh, in terms of uh, organic matter, we'll talk about the soil health shortly, but uh, how much organic matter would you add to a planting site before you get going? Uh, a fair bit, and so may- maybe as a ballpark, 15% of soil volume, something like that. Why, that really... why is the organic yeah. matter so important? Uh, okay, well, I guess that's one of my favourite subjects just recently, and that's what we did write about recently as well. Yeah, last week's um, uh, yeah, it was last week's blog in the in the Good Gardening newsletter. Uh, if anybody would like to sort of uh, get extras from what <laughs> uh, Sam is talking about, it, it was a good read. And thank you very much for providing your advice uh, during the winter months. But anyway, we come back to why that soil health is so important. Okay, so. A tree's roots uh, function, you know, to take up nutrition, but they're they're massively aided and they rely on fungi and bacteria as well. So the fungi above mo- most other functions, you know, it's a pretty complicated, complicated world underground there, but uh, they really break down a lot of your fertilisers into a soluble form that the plant can take up. So that's the bacteria's role. The fungi's main role is to fill out the whole soil profile, get into all the cracks and crevices, massively increase the the reach of the roots to to take those nutrients back to the plant. So one of the interesting things about fungi is that they literally grow right into the roots of, of your tree so that they're transporting all that good nutrition that the bacteria have got ready for you, uh, for your tree, right into right into the plant. So so it's you know, if you've just got the roots and you didn't have any fungi and bacteria, your tree would really be struggling to grow at all. Sam, it's interesting. Over the past month or so, uh, we've had some of the uh, probably Australia's authorities on, on soil health. Ian Tolley was stressing the importance of soil health and saying, feed the For soil, sure. it will feed the trees. Yep. And prior yep. to that, we had Tim Marshall, uh, who was uh, probably our leading organic gardener authority. And uh, they are focusing very much on saying, look, uh, it's not so much what you do to the tree. I won't say that's a, a, an overstatement, yep. but... Yep. It's it's what's going on in the soil, and you're saying the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it's so true. It's um, that is where a lot of the activity goes on. And if you're in a hurry to plant and you don't give good attention to those sort of things, and like you mentioned before, compact soils. Um, why are compact a problem? It's because the air's been squashed out of the soil, so um, the oxygen can't work with the fungi and bacteria to um, keep them alive, to keep them healthy, to then be able to feed your plants. So all, all right. of these things uh, work together well, to help your tree let's out. take a look. We're, we're talking about uh, location being important, lots of sunshine and, and preparing the soil before you actually get started. Um, there are lots of other issues like winter chilling and things like that. So maybe we might leave those to questions, Deb. If people have got particular questions, yes. there's so many issues there. Uh, but I think... Uh, it's probably time to take a look at 
at some of those questions indeed if you would like to join John Lamb and Sam Luke on fruit trees we would love your calls right now 1300 222891 we will catch up with you uh, Pete and Russell in just a moment Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. And we are joined by Sam Luke from Bauhanna Nurseries. Uh, first call up this morning is Pete from White Valley. Good morning, Pete. Good day, Deb, John and Sam. Um, I got a apricot tree maybe under 10 years old and I would like to transplant it and would like to know if possible and when. Take it away, Sam. <laughs> Ten years. Well, that could be quite a large-sized tree, I'm, I'm presuming, is it, Pete? Um, yeah, yeah, maybe five, six foot high, but not, not over in width, okay. only maybe um, three, four foot wide. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty under control. Well, well yeah. now is a really good time once your uh, leaves are fully dropped. Um I think the, the thing is to uh, not be lazy and get as much of the root system as you possibly can um, with that tree. Dig it right and also up. Take, yep. Yeah, yeah. And also take some of the soil from the existing location with the tree when you go. Uh, you might think you want to put in nice fresh soil, but actually a lot of the environment established for that tree with the fungi and bacteria that we've been talking about, it's good to take that with, with the tree. Um, yeah, it does. I only want to move difference. it. I only want to move it about five foot to the <laughs> east, <laughs> just right, to in the way of a shed. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. But I just want so to then water it. Yeah. So yeah, so then water it in well, and maybe stake it so it doesn't move around too much, and that will make sure that the roots have a stable um, start and not blown around by the wind and and torn as the little root hairs start to re-establish. So. Stick it in the ground firmly, step it, stamp it in, water it in well, and stake it as well. And you guys have been talking this morning again about add organic material. So, what sort of stuff would I want to add to my ground to do that? I mean, you can you can buy compost, but you can make your own. You might have some really good topsoil um, in a back corner, a shady back corner of your garden that's got heaps of organic matter in it, as long as it's well composted. But you can also buy plenty of soups, uh, you know, organic soups, worm juices and uh, fungi and bacteria sort of soups that you can add to the soil, which sort of yep. give you that instant um, um, biotic uh, mix. Yeah, I got you. No worries. Thank you very much, uh, Sam. You guys have a good day. Thanks, Pete. Same to you. Good luck moving your apricot tree. Now, Russell is in Smithfield. Now, you're looking for a particular fruit, Russell. Uh, yeah, a million-dollar peach tree. Uh, I hadn't seen one for ages. I wonder if they're still around or not. They are. They are. They should be in garden centres now, um, Russell and... You may be aware that the million dollar is the one peach which does best with a pollinator. So the pollinator with million dollar is Blackburn, Alberta. So right. if, you, if you get both of those, so million dollar might fruit a bit by itself, but it'll fruit a whole lot better if it's got a Blackburn, Alberta. Sam, if I uh, come in there, and perhaps uh, uh, if Russell would like to go along to a garden centre and say, look, uh, can I order a million dollar, they should be able to access that through you? Uh, yes, they could. It would, it would be potted now because we've sold sold out of all our bare-rooted stock into the uh, retail garden centres already.
Oh, so that's important. What's in the garden centres is what's available. And if you're thinking of growing uh, uh, deciduous fruit trees, bare-rooted fruit trees, you perhaps need to pop into your garden centre early in winter rather than leaving it to the late uh, end of winter. Uh, Russell, good luck with that. And just don't forget to get the pollinator as well, please. Thanks for the call. Bronwyn's in Enfield. Um, With some advice needed on a nectarine tree, Bronwyn. Uh, yes, good morning, folks. I've got a um, nectarine tree which was in a pot for a long time and I've put it in the ground and um, it's got curl leaf. Well, it had curl leaf last year. I'm wondering what's the right time, is it now, to spray it? Uh, Bronwyn, the, the main thing is to, in terms of now, is to make sure you get all the leaf litter away from the bottom of the tree and compost it somewhere else and bring it back later um, so that you don't have... Uh, the the uh, biotics in the in the soil for creating leaf curl again in the new season. So get rid of your leaf litter now, and then just prior to bud burst, you want to get a copper spray on at the end of winter, and that that'll be enough for you. Right. Okay. Good. Thank you very much for that. Easy. Thanks, Bronwyn, for the call. One three hundred triple two eight nine one is our phone line. Mark is in Port Neal. You've got a bit of a problem near your fruit trees, Mark. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Yeah, you know, like um, uh, septic water. You know, like it's treated from out of my septic system. Whether that's good for fruit trees? Can they take the, you know, like use the water, but not the um, um, any, I don't know, whatever's in it. Uh, this is a good question, Mark, and I'm not qualified to answer it. Can John help out there? Yeah, I can I give really uh, experience of uh, our own before. orchard. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, we lived out in the country, big orchard, and uh, we had uh, uh, the septic system there. And uh, we lived at, uh, almost at the top of the hill and a nice little slope away from the house. But uh, we put in tile drains and it was remarkable because the septic, uh, the overflow, that was fully treated. And that's the important thing. You need to make sure it's fully treated and composted. And then the, the, it's a, the water or the material that comes out at the end of that goes into this drainage system. And it's underground. And you could see to the tree just where the drainage system ended. And and they were the, some of the best fruit trees uh, on the orchard uh, as a result of that uh, septic material. In other words, it can, contains enough of the nutrients uh, to be able to boost the tree and the soil, um, but uh, by the time it's gone through the septic system, uh, it's quite safe to use. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, 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 it could be that, I mean, up in the Adelaide Hills where there's such a concentration of septics, that's not allowed. Mm. But all I'm just sort of saying is it is possible. That was your experience, you, and, yeah. And I, I, ideally... I live, a, I live out like in a... Oh, out of town a long ways and... Out in the boondocks. Um, yeah, we don't have a lot of water here, so, you know, I'm thinking, well... Maybe I can use the water. Yeah. For okay. In your situation, Mark, I think that sounds okay. In the uh, if you're in a, a concentrated area, the important thing is go to your local council. They will tell you what the regulations are concerning yeah. uh, septics and the use of uh, uh, that material. Might be a good starting point, Mark. Yeah, well, my new, nearest neighbour is like two kilometres away, so I don't <laughs> think he's going to get much. <laughs> I know the situation well. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Mark. That's great. Trudy is in Nairn in the Hills. Trudy, one of my favourite fruits, the Satsuma plum. What's your question? It's one of mine too. Um, I was wondering if there's a dwarf Satsuma available because they're very vigorous growers. 
Yeah, that's right, Judy. Um, and there is there is a dwarf at Satsuma. Um, dwarfing for for a lot of what we do in South Australia, dwarfing is done using a rootstock. So the advantage of that is we don't have to go around and find small varieties, naturally occurring varieties that are small. We can grab what we call our old favourites, and Satsuma is certainly one of them, and put it on a dwarfing rootstock, uh, which will control the vigour of the tree. So... Um, for sure, dwarf satsuma is available. Yeah. Uh, before we take the next uh, question, Deb, uh, the issue of satsuma, Sam, the fact that uh, it doesn't need pollination, just the fact, uh, could you just, just comment very, very quickly on uh, uh, those that need pollination or cross-pollination and those that don't? Yeah, so um, some trees pollinate themselves, uh, which which is handy, and there's quite a good range of those. And peaches and nectarines, as we mentioned before, are almost entirely self-fertile. But some things do need a pollinator. Satsuma's one of them. It's probably a borderline requirement for satsuma. Some people grow it without a pollinator and get a reasonable fruit crop anyway. But most of the um, plums, or, or the other plums apart from a satsuma, definitely need a cross-pollinator. They do, for sure. Mm. Thanks for that call, Trudy. Uh, Tracy is in Strathalbyn. It sounds like you've got a bit of a one-sided tree, Tracy. Oh, good morning. How are you? We're great, um, thanks. I've got my citrus trees. We're in a windy spot, and so I put quite high um, guards around them. And I'm noticing I've got a lot of fruit on the front of the trees now, and the backside's not as much. Is that because the backside's not getting the sun and I need to chop the... Um, uh, guard down well almost for sure uh the fruits related to sunshine uh and and it's the initiating of buds so bud initiation bud shooting out all relies on activation by the sun so if you're if you're really shading your, the branches of your citrus tree it is gonna you know they, they grow in places like the riverland don't they which are really high uh sun high temperature summer um, climates and 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 that's sort of what you've got to be aware of. And I often think of that, you know, when you're thinking about whether a tree will grow in your area, think about whether other people locally have the same sort of tree, or whether or where they're grown commercially, and and whether you can mimic that in your own backyard. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Tracy. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. Our number. Let's head to Blackwood now. Graham, you've got a pomegranate, but not much fruit. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I bought it at a nursery about five or six years ago. It grows very well, but it only flowers, you know, very uh, half a dozen flowers a year, and uh, they never have a fruit. Um, I'm wondering whether I should cut it back and then try and graft it or else pull it out and start again. Uh, we're pretty new on pomegranates. Have you got any advice there, John? Um, well, they can be shy bearers, and so if you cut it back, you get new wood, and that's only going to delay them coming into production. Uh, they uh, are very responsive to sunshine, <laughs> once again, and getting the right kind of conditions. And bearing in mind, pomegranates come from a, a fairly warm and dry uh, environment, so that if you've got your... Um, pomegranates and they're growing in moist soil they're growing vigorously and probably uh, they want to grow rather than fruit and I think uh, if you can improve the amount of sunshine uh, that's a bonus but if you can't do that don't overstimulate with fertilizer. 
is growing fairly close to a, a lemon tree, which is absolutely wonderfully fruiting. So it's about three or four meters from that. Um, so the soil appears to be good for fruiting, but the pomegranate just doesn't seem to want a fruit. Yeah, okay. And there are a number of other issues. Uh, when you bought it, if it was uh, root-bound, um, it, it's a big issue that is needs more attention. But often when you buy plants in containers, uh, the roots are going round and round in a circle. And when you plant them, they never really break out of that. And uh, that's one of the big advantages, of course, is buying bare-rooted. You can see the, the, the root system. And Sam might come back shortly and just talk about the importance, if you're planting a bare-rooted tree, to when you uh, plant it, to cut it back pretty hard. But I think uh, you just need to back off on the, on the tree, make sure it's not over-watered or over-fertilised, and uh, maybe just take the tips out of the plant. In springtime, when it's putting on new growth, just take the tip growth out. Uh, that removes some of the hormones uh, and uh, maybe that will help settle it down. I hope you get some pomegranate fruit delicious. Trevor in Loxton, hello. Good morning, John, and, I, and you're, I've lost the man's name. Sam. Oh, Sam. Sam, you can't forget Sam. Sam, Sam, Sam. <laughs> sorry, Sam. Sam's the man. Sam's the man, <laughs> yes, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, look, I... I, I had a question about citrus, uh, dwarf citrus. So I wonder, you know, as we're downsizing, I wonder to put some in a pot. And, I mean, how big do they grow and, and that sort of thing? What uh, Do you put just ordinary soil in the pot or do you mix it up with, with uh, you know, uh, out of the bags sort of stuff? Or Just a very broad one there, Sam. Yeah, yeah. yeah so what I, would, what I would go for, Pete, is... Uh, or what I'd focus on is the biggest possible pot you can get. A half wine barrel would it would be really good. Uh, you might want to put it on some I've sort of wheels. Size, I, I, I've got them already. Yep. Nice. And then uh, potting mix. There are potting mixes and potting mixes, and you usually have to pay a bit more to get the really good ones, which won't break down too quick, which will have plenty of nutrition in them and some long-term fertilizer. Um, but that is indicated on the bag. Uh, what sort of um, guarantees it has and and I think it's just important to get a good quality potting mix because your tree's going to be in there for a long time. Yeah, I was more interested in the trees themselves. I, I was a fruit grower myself for many years so I understand soil and what they need. So, But it was more the sizes and, and the varieties perhaps, mate. Well, there's a wide, there's a lot of varieties being put on dwarfing stocks now so there's, there's lots to choose from from that point of view. Um and in terms of size, usually about two and a half metres tall is, is what we say. Um, sometimes they, they can grow more than that if you prune them really vigorously or whatever. So maybe tie some branches down. If you've grown fruit trees in the past, you would have seen that in your orchard, that tying your branches down restricts the growth or, or controls the growth. And all of a sudden a tree that uh, might have been two and a half metres tall, you might be able to keep to more like two metres or a bit less than that. Deb Tribe and John Lamb with you, our special guest Sam Luke from Balhanna Nurseries this morning. We'll take a couple more questions and I think we better let Sam go. Deb from Wollonga, your oranges have split and the tree is in a barrel, is that right Deb? Yes, it's a late laying navel, it's just over two years old so it's got its best crop ever. We only got one orange the first year and we've got about eight this time but twice now one of them has split open and then that tends to go mouldy obviously if I haven't noticed it's still on the tree. So uh, 
what what am I doing right or wrong or help? Uh, Sam, we covered that one fairly extensively earlier on. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, Sam is uh, an expert on deciduous fruit trees, <laughs> and uh, uh, citrus is probably the Ian Tolly, Tolly one. Uh, so it, it's right. one of, of uh, wa- management of your water. If you allow the citrus tree to dry out and then it gets wet, the fruit will split. And I think it's one of water management there, Deb. And just finally, um, on citrus again, not deciduous, Jill from Port Victoria, you've got a shrinking lemon tree. No, not shrinking, Deb. Um, it's a, oh, good morning all, uh, it's a few, about 15 years old, I think it's a Lisbon. I've got a massive, massive crop this year, bigger than ever, but at least half the tree, they're all misshapen. They look about the size of a cricket ball, and uh, instead of being like a lemon shape, they're round, and they look more like a cassia lime. Are you sure that the rootstock hasn't come through? Are you familiar with the rootstock of a, a lemon tree uh, there, Jill? Um, well, no, I'm not, but it's sort of in patches all over the tree. No, no. Just, you know, half, just half the tree's normal. Take a look at the base of the tree, and if there's strong growth coming from down near the base, you've got the rootstock coming through, and that needs to be removed because that would uh, explain the strange fruit. Uh, if it's only just a small fruit, uh, number of fruits that are affected, and uh, it's only this season. It could be that during flowering period you had an attack of thrips or some kind of sap-sucking insect and that's caused the fruit to distort. Uh, but again, I think uh, if we can leave the citrus yep. trees, <laughs> citrus questions for another day. Okay, well, uh, we'll take uh, one last call then. I did say we had two more calls, but Bruce is, has just slid in from Onkaparinga Hills on a nectar. And Bruce, what's your question, please? Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, I've got a gold mine nectar tree, and the last two years, it's always been, always been sprayed and magnesium and all that stuff. And uh, anyway, what happens as as the fruit starts to ripen? They're quite large. Um, yeah, just before they really ripen, they just go all mushy and uh, all squashy, and you can't eat them. Mm, it sounds yeah. It, it sounds like an imbalance in the tree and maybe maybe something like calcium, um, you know, to keep those fruits uh, that calcium contributes to cell strength in fruit. So um, it might be it might be that they're running out of nutrition that time of year. Um, I guess I'm presuming this is in in a good sun position because if, if the fruit gets gets wet, in summer, as you know, um, and if they're loaded like that and the fruit's touching, then it's hard for the moisture to get away and you can often get rots established between fruits. But I'm guessing... I don't think think you're guessing there, Sam. I think that's sound. Yeah, the the importance of uh, balanced nutrition, and we haven't had time, Sam, to talk about the importance of balanced nutrition, getting the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash in balance. And uh, if you do need extra calcium, calcium nitrate, that's not readily available. If you go to some of the larger garden centres, there are little bottles of calcium and and all kinds of nutrients you can now buy. It's liquid and soluble, and you spray it on the tree, it goes in very, very quickly. But, Deb... I, I need to talk to Sam yes. about some important <laughs> Thanks, issues. Yeah, so, please do. So I, I appreciate there's so many questions coming in, but uh, uh, to be able to talk to Sam about issues. And we go back to that survey that was carried out when the uh, dwarf fruit trees were being uh, released and uh, people were coming in with issues and they were concerned about some. And one of the issues was, I suppose, getting established, Sam. So you've got a dwarf fruit tree. It's got big potential, but uh, sometimes getting them established is difficult. What's 
the remedy for getting off to a good start with a dwarf fruit tree if it's a uh, if it's deciduous? Yeah, you know the dwarfing rootstocks which I've mentioned that we use for you know they're a new phenomena really, but they are more um, temperamental. So. They don't like waterlogging and they don't like drying out. There's, there's a lot of roots in them. You'll, you'll think, oh, you know, that would make a more vigorous tree. But in actual fact, it doesn't. But those roots do need to be kept moist. So if you, if you dry them out, like if they have a period of being very dry, they can really struggle to, to get their mojo happening again. Um, but they also don't like waterlogging. There's a lot of root there too and and root matter and if water gets trapped in there in concentration then they don't like that so you want a free 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 flowing soil with good compost in it and your your little dwarf fruit tree should take off just the same as a normal tree under those circumstances and you mentioned the importance of that rootstock and that rootstock probably is a little bit different Uh, would i be right in sort of saying that the the rootstock on a dwarf fruit tree is probably a little bit more fibrous a bit more like a citrus tree whereas the traditional fruit trees have sort of uh, standard roots that sort of tend to wander off and gather their own nutrients and and, and moisture so you've got to be careful with where you place your 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 nutrients and your water particularly when uh, the trees are being established. Established, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and the, the other area that uh, well, I think was fascinating uh, uh, came out of the survey was that people were saying, oh, beautiful, you know, marvellous. The dwarf fruit trees allow us to grow uh, uh, fruit trees in, in containers in a small garden. Big benefits there. But often when you get them growing and they're nice uh, and very productive, probably they're overproductive. Lots and lots of fruit, but the fruit comes out too small. What's the solution there? Uh, it is the old chestnut, John. Uh, if, if you see a lot of fruit, you, you need to thin. You've really got to... The fruit will be more flavoursome, uh, larger and better if you, if you thin. So get in early because otherwise you're, you're putting a lot of energy into fruit that you're going to pull off. Get in early if you know you've got a really heavy crop and thin it out a little bit. It'll stop the fruit touching um, and, and disease building up between fruit and, and it'll produce a, a better fruit with more air and sunshine getting to it. So it is better. It's really hard to thin, and I know very few people actually do thin their fruit trees. Cause it's hard, so yes. <laughs> but very, very, okay. They Listen, can't help themselves. I wanted to talk about favourites, and we don't have the time to talk about all the favourites, but um, people want to know which variety they grow. So let's assume that they're going to go to a garden centre, and uh, I would like you to just, I'm going to say, here's a favourite fruit, and I would like you to say, this is probably uh, the best performing of that. It's not the most exclusive. We're not excluding other varieties, so let's tack off with apricots, a good, reliable apricot. Uh, you'd have to say more park. Okay. A peach? Uh, well, so th- th- this is where you've got to choose whether you want a white or a yellow, but yellows tend to be the favourites, and Alberta is the traditional favourite. I prefer O'Henry. That's a really good yellow oh, yes. flesh. O'Henry, um, yeah. And then Anzac for a white flesh. Okay, so and Nectarin? Uh, Goldmine is the standard. I also like the one cool. So that's a white flesh as well, very sweet. Uh, so <laughs> we had a, a, a lot of people sort of nominating cherry. What's probably a, a good favourite reliable cherry for Adelaide? Uh, Stella or Lappin, but probably Lappin. Okay, apple? Well, you need pollination for apple. Um, Pink Lady Fuji Gala tends to be the trio that people go with. 
Okay, and pears? Pears, well, uh, they often go Packhams because that's that's the favourite. That's the one you see in the greengrocer, but yes. you do need a Josephine as a pollinator. So then if you don't want a pollinator, you can go for a Duchess or Williams is, is the same thing, and you can get a red flesh of that called Sensation or just the standard green Duchess. I wanted to talk about uh, which ones needed pollination and cross-pollination. We don't have time. Tam, uh, Sam, the way around that is I'll talk to you on Monday and maybe you can send me a list of those favourites. So we'll talk of those fruits. We'll have your favourite variety there. And then maybe we can put some little asterisks and say these ones need cross-pollinations and these ones don't. And we'll put it in next week's newsletter. No drama. Good boy. Thank you. Sounds great. Uh, Sam, Luke, we've held you longer than we were expected to, but thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, and giving us so much advice. Jamie McElwain from the uh, SA Landscape Festival and the um, Harvest Festival says, so good having a specialist like you on because we never stop learning. And thanks for educating us this morning. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. (laughs) No worries. Cheers. Thank you. Sam Luke from Balhanna Nurseries. We'll go back to our general talk back gardening now. Call in if you've got a question on 1300 222 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It certainly is lovely to be with you this morning. I've still got a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away a little bit later in the program. Let's head to Glenelg now. Jonathan, you've got a question about lavender. Welcome. Uh, hi, thanks, Deb, and uh, good to talk to you. Um, look, um, I don't know if I'm coming through clearly, uh, but we've got a question about lavender in that um, this is we've had a couple of pots of lavender over the last six months. Um, we didn't plant them, but they basically are always dying. We just don't know how to keep them alive. Do you know whether uh, you've got an English lavender or a French one? Um, I think it's more the French one, not the English one. You've got little uh, rabbit ears on the end of the little flowers. Yeah, yeah. Right, though. Uh, sure. I know you're not supposed to overwater them, but uh, it just still doesn't seem to be able to. Yeah, well, uh, the Achilles heel certainly is overwatering in lavenders. Lavenders prefer uh, to get out in the soil, a nice open soil and an op- a very, very sunny position. Um, the bit of a dilemma there in the fact that they need sunshine to perform. And if it's in a container, um, what happens is if you get a thermometer and put it inside and into the soil on a hot day when the temperature is up around about 35 degrees and your uh, plant is in the sun and it needs to be in the sun, you'll find the temperature in the soil will be around about 40, 45 degrees. And what happens is all the root system of the uh, lavender, particularly uh, the outer roots close to the uh, surface, which are a little bit warmer than th- those inside, uh, you'll find that they just die. And that weakens and puts your plant under stress. You say, oh, look, it looks like it needs a drink of water. And that's the last thing it needs is a drink of water because... Uh, it's trying to say uh, it's the roots that are missing and if you put on more water I can't take it and so uh, it goes and declines so that's a, a, a major issue which we'll focus on during the growing season in the fact that uh, plants in containers get very very hot and you need management issues to stop that 
and we're going to drive people mad by saying, go and get a soil thermometer. You will learn so much about what's happening in the soil. And as Ian Tolley and uh, others are saying, uh, it's focus on the soil. And uh, if you get the focus on the soil right, what happens to the plant will fix itself. Okay, Jonathan. Thank you. I mean, I know I know that it's not that um, the right weather for it because it's just so rainy. So maybe if that was an issue as well, but it, planting it, that sounds, and, and yeah. also a soil. Well, well, they just don't like wet feet and they certainly need a, a strong root system and you'll get that in the garden. It's hard to achieve that in a container, a 30 centimetre wide container. Okay, well, good luck in that one, Jonathan. Sounds like you might need it. Uh, Sonia is in Lakeview. Now, you've got a Loganberry, Sonia. Um, it's either a loganberry or a, or a boysenberry. I'm not sure what. And I'm wondering how to prune it. Um, does it fruit on last year's growth or can I cut it right back and it'll fruit on new growth? Um, you'll find that they, they fruit on mature wood. And so uh, if you take a look, you, you should have uh, lots of canes from last year. Yeah, and anything from the place. Okay, or well, chop those off at ground level. There yep. should also be uh, the beginning of new uh, canes. They're the ones that you need to train up uh, into uh, a tra- onto your trellis. Yep. And as they grow, if they get too long and lanky, take the tips out because those canes will then send out little side shoots, and your berries will form on the on the on the side shoots of this of the current season's growth. The current season's growth. Yeah, okay. that's right. Okay. So. Uh, Another issue that needs probably some discussion. Um, and I'm so sad. Sam was going to talk about ripper raspberries. <laughs> There's a new raspberry coming out called ripper raspberry. <laughs> so we might talk about brambles in another another program sometime soon. So stay tuned, Sonia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks very much for calling in. Uh, lovely to hear from you. We're going to talk about... Um, the weather a little bit in, in just a moment, but I would like to give away a couple of ABC Gardening Australia magazines for June. If you haven't won anything from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you would like to get your hands on a copy of the latest ABC Gardening Australia magazine, give us a buzz now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We've got two to give away. This is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. It sure is and it's the long weekend uh, in winter and we've had some rain this week, quite a bit of it indeed. Uh, Carolyn says here in Strathalbyn we've had 145 millimetres of rain for the year. Very happy with my big red tomatoes still picking the second crop. Can you believe it? Cut back the first crop in March, have pick, pickled, sourced and frozen and given buckets to neighbours. Tomatoes on toast, yum. Thank you, Carolyn. Very lucky there. And somebody else is agreeing exactly. Julian Prospect, this season is interesting. I have five self-seeded tomatoes and counting. Just going to leave them where they are as I've experienced tomatoes surviving winter before and then cropping over summer. With a hotter and warmer summer coming up, it's going to be a fascinating tomato season. And we'll forewarned as forearmed. Yes. But we often 
talk about soil uh, uh, rainfalls and we read out the people who are giving and very very happy with the rain they've got and uh, as Darren Ray forecast back in about March uh, the southern areas would get their break in the season through lots and lots of fronts and that's actually happened and he basically said at that stage it could be that uh, those in the uh, further inland areas uh, are probably won't get a break in the season until June and here it is June and I think a lot of them have finally got uh, almost a, a break in the season and it's just uh, encouraging I think that we sort of highlight the fact that in the Riverland they had 10 to 15 millimetres of rain over the last weekend and those in the Mallee had 15 to 20. Here in Adelaide we had 25 millimetres uh, during the week. Uh, no it was more than that I've, I've, you know it was yeah it was about 35. 35 mils That's in Adelaide right, yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah. That, which is half our, our June average rainfall. Um, it was interesting, though. The, on Air Peninsula and York Peninsula, virtually very little rain over the last week. But uh, Air Peninsula's done fairly well. Air Peninsula, uh, York Peninsula, some dry patches out there. And uh, probably the Brossa Valley, like Adelaide, has had sort of, you know, around the 20 to 25. And the Adelaide Hills, of course, had a little bit more. So, uh, and, and the southeast, I'm not too sure of the handle there. But uh, uh, they get their rain a little bit later in the season. And let's hope they do get it. So uh, the rainfall has fallen. The fascinating thing is that soil temperatures, as I mentioned, uh, are now 5 degrees above normal for this time of the year and uh, they'll stay warm uh, for probably maybe one to two weeks uh, uh, living turf temperatures I think uh, are indicating that uh, they were around about oh, oh, oh I've lost them too <laughs> I get too excited and I shuffle my things <laughs> John comes with a lot of paper. While we, while John's finding his notes on soil temperatures, uh, 30 millimetres last month and only 11 mils so far this month in Point Pass, not nearly enough. So, yes, it's, it's still that variation in... Um, the rainfall across the state and congratulations to Marlene in Puindi and Kayleen in Bellevue Heights who won the ABC Gardening Australia magazines. How are you going there John? Yeah no they're sitting on 14 to 15 degrees which is amazing because the June average soil temperatures are around about 10 to 11 and we've been saying get your uh, vegetables in uh, your cool season vegetables in early well maybe we've got an extension there but uh, watch the soil temperatures they have a big uh, uh, they're important in, in driving the, the growth, particularly of fruit and vegetables and flowers. Mm. Mm. Um, on the text line, I can't believe this. Dawn is still picking tomatoes from the veggie garden. Just pick these and they're still finishing ripening. Dawn, we don't get any pictures at the moment on our text line, so don't worry about sending them. Darcy from Brooklyn Park is the same. I planted my cherry tomato in December and I'm still picking tomatoes. <laughs> Picked 60 so far and have about 50 on there still. Darcy, well done. I'm just pretty amazed. But in terms of um, what we can do this weekend, John, long weekend, some people have got an extra day that they might be able to spend in the garden. Uh, this texter says, is it too late for bulbs, daffodils and Dutch iris? It's virtually too late, but if you've got them, uh, I would say put them in the ground because if you don't, uh, they probably uh, uh, try and grow themselves not in the ground and you'll lose them, whereas if you put them in the ground, they'll produce leaves. And the thing is, this year's flower is already in the bulb. 
bulbs or you'll get flowers this year and they, you mightn't get much of a flower next year unless, of course, you give it plenty of nutrition before you put the bulbs in and once the flowering flowers appear, start on a, a, a weekly half-strength liquid fertiliser and try and get nutrients in and maybe they will flower. So it's not too late for a good gardener. Um, and I think probably uh, the deciduous fruit trees are now out there in the garden centres focus on the preparation before you actually plant those there's some lovely colour plants out there and a little pack of bloomers I think would go well um, Got your bloomers on? Bloomers, yeah <laughs> and uh, primulas are brilliant if you buy primulas um, they will start flowering very very soon and we'll talk more about that next week because next week there's, a, or during next week there's a very special event for gardeners, they will be focusing and get excited about a particular day next week and I'm not going to say what it is <laughs> until next week because... Okay, so it, so the day itself is not happening next week? Yeah, it's, it... it's, it's, it's a day in the year that uh, is very important to gardeners. Anyway, you probably figured that one out. Uh, I just want to say that uh, next week we're going to be talking to James Smith from For Nature and the reason <laughs> is because this week James was awarded the Pelser Prize. Uh, it's all to do with the environment and the understanding of the environment and, and in, in encouraging uh, the community to be more involved in what's going on. It, it, it's sponsored by uh, the Conservation Council and also Green Adelaide. Mm. So James will be our guest next week. That's so great. Congratulations to you, James. It's just fantastic um, that you got it because so well deserved. Um, and thank you very much to these texters. Uh, seven millimetres in Goolwa Beach, says Petrus. Uh, 143 mils in Murray Bridge, says Gales. Crops planted and coming up and we still have flowers on our frangipani tree. Yes, and so the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Uh, talking of that, uh, during the week, uh, the United States climatologist declared that El Nino, mm -hmm. the warm and dry one, is now official. Whereas last week, uh, Darren Ray, South Australian uh, climatologist, was saying it's not quite ready here in, in Australia and the Bureau are saying it, it's an El Nino watch, but it hasn't happened. But the fascinating thing was saying is that we've had lots and lots of fronts coming across and dropping rain in the southern part, but not in the northern parts of the state. And he says that's because we've had the fronts, but we haven't had the infeed of moisture yeah. coming in from the northwest. And last week it happened. Lots of moisture coming in from the northwest in the upper levels. Along came the fronts, down came the rain. And uh, Darren is suggesting that, as or he said last week, uh, the first half of June is going to be pretty wet, more showers coming, and then it will dry. And I think he was alluding to the fact that that could be the beginning of El Nino, Nino here in South Australia. Yeah, so we need to make the most of what rain we do get. This text is saying not all of the Air Peninsula is done well. Central EP is where this person's based and we have had 5.25 mils for the month. Yes. Not great for cropping. Northern part of York Peninsula mm. and uh, certainly parts of uh, Air, Air Peninsula. Peninsula. But, uh, yeah, it's been very, very scattered. But uh, the southern parts of both those peninsulas are doing quite well in terms of rainfall. And this person... Oh, it's Colette is still picking tomatoes. <laughs> oh, no. Lots of self-sown and protected <laughs> in the chookyard. It makes me feel bad. Uh, well, look, it's been a fascinating morning talking about fruit trees, John. And But with this rain that we're getting, we, as you said, we need to be aware that the El Nino 
um, is brewing and we need to prepare for a drier and warmer winter ahead. Absolutely. And if you're not going to plant some extra broccoli and cabbages and peas, then spend some time collecting all those fallen leaves. They're on the ground at the moment. They're soggy. They'll make ideal compost. Just put them in a heap. Add some chicken manure pellets as you put them in a heap and you'll have some marvellous mulching material in springtime. And I think that's tremendously important. Watch the water, how you're going to store the water. And as Darren often alludes, from a bushfire point of view, those in bushfire areas, now is a time to work out what you're going to do to reduce the vegetation. I think until next week, I'll say enjoy the long weekend, because I certainly will, being in the garden. And until next week, good gardening.